Welcome to the South Fellowship Church podcast. Here at South Fellowship, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Well, good morning, friends. How are you doing today? You made it. You survived. You came through the tundra. You got to church. Good job. Uh, I'm super proud of you. I uh, love if you... uh, My name's Alex, by the way, if you're visiting. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I love, uh, as I've shared before, to, to go on a walk on Sunday morning before doing something like preaching. It's just this great space to let what you're about to say come get into your heart. It gives you a chance to just process it for yourself. So, so I, I went out, as usual, for a walk this morning. Uh, being, it was a little different th- than it was uh, at other times. I pictured like, like this heroic moment like this. I don't know, just like I expected mountains <laughs> to appear on my doorstep or something like that, and I'd, I'd look just as well put together as this person is. Instead, I took this photo on the way round, which was me just doing what I could to hold the warmth inside. Mismatched, odd colors floating all over the place. Uh, a Michigan hat, Michigan football, by the way, woo-woo, uh, that Jim Harbaugh handed me with his own hands, which is a prized possession. But, but as I was wandering around, I thought, you know, the fact that my dog thought it was too cold to walk might say I shouldn't have been out there. I, I don't know. It just, but there I was, taking this time just to process. Uh, what we're going to talk about today, this, this subject is one that I'm, I'm deeply passionate about. We're going back into the Sermon on the Mount in just a couple of weeks as a community. But there were a few things around emotional health that at the start of the year, I just love, I'd love, love, love us to grasp as individuals and as a community. So we did last week where we talked about the, 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 the balance between authenticity, this, this, this thing that the world seems to ask of us, and, and then also this constant push to be new, to be transformed. And, uh, and we talked about how actually both can be found in Jesus. He made you distinct and individual. Uh, he loves you, and yet he wants to transform you into the type of person that he is. He is both a passionate, passionately excited about you, and then also this God who transforms us. And, and then today, we're going to talk about the, perhaps I'd term it the ghosts, of the past. But emotions, mental health is, is a big deal. Our minds are these things that, that, that seem to just go 24-7. Even when we're asleep, we have all, all sorts of different dreams that appear and all sorts of different thoughts that are being processed. But it's also a mystery. As I was doing some research into some of this, I was just checking out some things that people said on, uh, online, and, uh, and in one article I read this, we average between 6,000 and 60,000 thoughts per day. The fact that there's such a range is, is really down to the fact that it's hard to define exactly where one thought ends and where another thought begins, and so there's different ideas, different viewpoints from different people, but where there does seem to be some agreement, some synergy is, is of those thoughts. 10% of those thoughts are what are described as invasive thoughts. The thoughts that you, you couldn't find a track to, you didn't ask for, they just, they just seem to appear. It can be all sorts of things, like you can be wandering along a cliffside path and think, what would it look like if I fell down this 
path into the ravine, just, just things that just seem to pop out of nowhere. You could be stood in a supermarket and say, like, what would, what would happen if I just walked out of here with this item in my hands? Now, maybe you never have any kind of weird thoughts like that, uh, and maybe I'm just here preaching to myself, but, but, but for the most part, people, most people can put their hand up and say, yes, some of my thought life, it, it at times seems a little strange. And, and of those invasive thoughts, 75% of those are negative. They're negative, they're, they're not things that we want, they're not things that we're trying to hold on to, they're things we're actually trying to, to say no to. And yet, in actual fact, just saying no to them, just trying to stop them doesn't seem to work as a strategy. So this is one of those areas that we're gonna wrestle with today, and, and before we get into it too far, I'd, I'd like to read you a text. If you've got a text in front of you that you'd like to open, this is Philippians chapter three. And I'm gonna read from verse four, and actually, fact, the second half of verse four. This is a guy called Paul writing about 2,000 years ago to a church in a town called Philippi. He says this, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and some, somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, and just pause here, this is gonna be our jumping off point today. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Jesus, as we wrestle with what you have for us today, would you be present with us? For my brothers and sisters here, my friends, for those that walked in for the first time, would you speak? Would you share your wisdom with us? Would you help us to make difficult choices based on what you say? Would you help us to be brave? Where we need new life, would you breathe? Well, we find ourselves constantly seeing all of our emotional energy expended on what is past. Would you bring us into your now? Thank you for each of these people in this room that you love them and care for them. Please speak life to them. Remind them they're gonna be okay. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize 
for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul sets these two things that seem diametrically opposed to each other. There is the past and there is the what is to come. And, and Paul says, no, I don't focus on what is behind me. My energy is, faced, is placed on what is, what is still ahead of me. There's a whole bunch of details that we'll unpack as we go, but that will take as our starting point. Paul's focus is not what is behind. Paul's focus, this writer, is what is to come. And yet, the past is fascinating. I still remember the first time I was introduced to this joy of a movie. I was eight years old and my cousin invited me over to his house and he said, you've got to see this movie. It is the greatest thing that you'll ever see. And he said, good news as well, like there's the second one that's available uh, as well. Like it's, it's, it's just come out. And so we watched both of them back to back, to back and, I, and I remember falling in love with this character, Marty McFly, who was just the coolest dude. And, and then also just, just intrigued, fascinated by the idea that you could turn a car into a time machine. At the time, I did not know you could make a time machine out of anything, let alone a car. Uh, and so if you don't know, I'm gonna catch you up. This is the flux capacitor. It is what makes time travel possible. And you can buy your own and put it into your cigarette lighter. It may not make time travel possible for you. But, but, but time travel is a topic that, that, that grabs us. There's so many little references to this movie that became pop culture simply perhaps because of all that it makes possible. And maybe you've never thought about this very much, but many of us, I think, have these moments where we imagine what it would be like to drop back into different periods of time to experience different things that are happening. My, my deep passion is to, to go back to the roaring 20s, where for some reason I always imagine I'm part of the 1% crowd. Uh, I'm one of the, the popular ones, not the, the really poor people in that period. I don't, I don't know what that is, but, but, but I, I imagine going back and experiencing these different worlds. It's it's an intriguing possibility for us. But, well, time travel is just a fantasy. It doesn't seem to be possible. It certainly doesn't happen right now that we know of. But mental time travel is a reality. It's a psychological phenomenon. It's a term used for that thing that you and I, almost all of us do, which we imagine what the future might look like and we go back into the past and we revisit different events, different experiences. Some of them good, some of them bad. Some of them are reoccurring. We find ourselves back in the same spot all the time. But it's a phenomenon that is real, that is an ever-present part of most people's day. And this idea of mental time travel is, a lot of it, a good percentage of mental time travel is into the past because the future is unknown. We can try and imagine different parts of it, but, but there's nothing solid to grasp hold of, whereas at least in part, we know what is behind us. You know what your life has looked like. And I have heard some of your stories. I know some of your lives are full of hardship in the past, full of difficulty. There's joys, there's successes, there's all of those mixtures of things. Mental time travel regularly seems to take us back into our past Lives. Now, to a certain degree, going back into the past can be a fairly healthy thing. Moises Silva, the commentator on Philippians, says, we, we are a remembering faith. 
Last week, for those of you that call South home, we gathered around the front of the church and we came and we took communion, we took bread and we took wine. Why? Because we were told to remember. Jesus gathered with his earliest followers and said, do this in remembrance of me. You have family history that is important. You have things that keep you to the values that you hold. You have people whose memories you treasure, and those are valuable things, perhaps last conversations with a loved one, a significant moment where something happened, and it's been part of you becoming who you are now. That's good, and that's healthy. There's also just pure nostalgia, which isn't harmful particularly at all. There's the moment where I eat raspberries and something about raspberries, the smell, the taste of them, everything, all the combined senses working together, they throw me instantly back to childhood every single time. I'm not sure they taste as good as they do in childhood, but suddenly I'm back in the countryside of Sussex, this beautiful county in England, and and it's so evocative to me that I can see a picture that I just grabbed off the internet, but I can imagine myself walking down this path, and I'm pretty sure as you hit the woodland down at the bottom uh, of the hill, you'll probably find a small stream running through it, a place for dogs to run and play, a place for family and for joy. That, that's, that's nostalgia, and there's nothing wrong with that either. But there's another way of remembering the past that doesn't seem to be healthy. There's a way of entering into the past with our deep emotions that holds us there, that doesn't seem to allow us to become who we're supposed to become. This is Daphne du Maurier in her novel, Rebecca. It's a flashback back into the beginnings, and she says this, once there was an article on wood pigeons, and as I read it, I read it aloud, it seemed, I read it aloud, it seemed to me that once again I was in the deep woods of Mandalay with pigeons fluttering over my head. How strange that an article on wood pigeons could recall the past and make me falter as I read aloud. She, she picks up something that seems fairly innocuous, something that doesn't seem particularly significant. It's a, a magazine on countryside, and it's, it brings back memories so evocative to her that she finds herself in the moment to be trapped in them. And perhaps you've been there or know someone who sits in those kind of spaces. This is Uncle Rico from the movie Napoleon Dynamite. I tried to capture a certain expression on his face. If you've never seen it, Uncle Rico uh, believes he was a star quarterback back in high school. He has these deep memories of it. And so regularly you'll find him mid-narrative, mid-conversation with someone, start to track back to, if only I could go back to high school. If the coach had put me in for the fourth quarter, there's no doubt in my mind, no doubt at all that we'd have been state champions. And, and then I'd have gone pro, and now I'd be living in a house with my soulmate, sitting in a hot tub. I'd be millions of dollars rich. I'd be, everything would be fine. And, and he can track back, 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 back into his history to one moment where something diverges, and in that moment, everything goes wrong. For some of us, we find that it's not just nostalgia. Some of us, it's, it's not just a healthy remembering of the past that reminds us who we are. Sometimes it's this place where we get back and our emotions are still there. Uncle Rico never leaves. 
For all intents and purposes, he finds himself back in the 70s, longing, dreaming for a future that never took place. You might translate Paul's language in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, in these ways. I do not dwell on my failures or successes. I strain forward with all determination so that I can win the prize. I wrestled with this as a translation a little bit, but I don't love necessarily just the dichotomy of failures and successes because it's not just about whether you succeeded or whether you failed. Sometimes it's out of your control. You might also say, I do not dwell on past good or past evil. I strain forward with all determination so that I can win the prize. I do not dwell on hard times or great times. I strain forward with all determination so that I can win the prize. I love his word dwell there because I think that's what it is. That's the thing he's talking about where we find ourselves living in the past. Not physically, but emotionally. Our energy is there. Our life is still lived there perhaps in a particular moment. To give you a picture of the distinction, I wanted to share a short story. My family, Laura's family, more accurately, have this beautiful house up on a lake in northern Minnesota. It's this 11,000-acre lake. It's got 52 little islands dotted around it, and so we, we love to go out on, on boats, and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of float in as, as close as we can to a shoreline, and we'll throw down an anchor and we'll sit there and fish and swim, usually at the same time, which is, swimming is detrimental to fishing. It just is, you're just, kids splashing around like huge sharks is not good for the small fish that we try and catch. And, and, and the anchor serves this particular purpose when we do that. It's a big lake and the wind can whip up and it can move you all over the place. And so what does an anchor do in that scenario? It holds you where you want to be. It holds you where you want to be. And then there was this time where we went to, to leave and, and nobody pulled up the anchor. Uh, and so we just started to drive the boat and it didn't move at all. It jolted to a stop. Uh, and we found that the, the anchor had actually wedged itself into two rocks and was borderline unmovable. We tried to float the boat around the rocks to see if we could find any angle which it would pop out. I got into the water to try and swim and move this thing. And, and with the pressure of the boat as it moved around these rocks, eventually the, the line just snapped and an anchor now sits forever at the bot of, bottom of Pelican Lake. There was no bringing it up. There's the first scenario where an anchor holds you where you want to be. And then the second part of the story, an anchor stops you going where you're supposed to be. I think the past works like an anchor. In a healthy scenario, the past is an anchor for your soul. It reminds you where you've come from, reminds you perhaps of family traditions, of family history, reminds you of your story with God, the way that he has moved in your life in specific times, reminds you of your values, reminds you of healthy things. It keeps you where you're supposed to be. But then there's this second possibility, which is less healthy, where the anchor is not for your soul, but the past is now an anchor on your soul. It stops you moving forward. 
Stops you becoming who you're supposed to be. Stops you experiencing new things. Stops you moving into what God has for you as a person. Stops a community moving in to what God has for them as a community. Paul could be that person that experiences just that thing for whom the past is an anchor on his soul. This is what he says to a church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For I am the least of the apostles. I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul's history is, is actually fairly toxic. He was in opposition to this new church movement, this new Jesus movement. He did everything he could to stop it. When they, they took a young man who became the first martyr, a man named Stephen, he stood there and watched, holding their cloaks as, as they stoned this young guy to death. And then he, he traveled everywhere he could, everywhere within reach, persecuting the church, taking the first believers, throwing them into jail. Paul is potentially responsible for more deaths in the early church than anybody else. Paul's background is toxic. He could be this person. Paul has regret that could anchor him in the past. And maybe that's you. Maybe there's a date that comes to mind as we're talking. Maybe there's an experience. Maybe there's a face, a person. Maybe there's a street that you still hate driving down because of a memory that's there. Maybe there's a certain time of the year that you just say, I just can't do it. Can't enter into this. There's just, there's just too much. Maybe there's a past that just feels full of perhaps not regrets, perhaps you didn't control it, but injuries, hurts, loss, grief, failure. And you feel like your emotion is not usually here, present in the now. It's actually lodged back in some of these moments. You dwell there. But I don't know if it's the past and regret that Paul is talking about specifically. Could be. But actually, I think there's a big part of me that thinks he's talking not about regret, but talking about success. Look at what he says before this. This is back to chapter 3, verse 4. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ." What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. It's true that Paul has regrets, failures that could hold him in the past, but it's just as true that Paul has success that could anchor, anchor him in the past as well. This is a guy who has achieved an achievement in your past can be as toxic as failure in your past, as regret in your past. The writer Arthur Brooks last year wrote the book that I have quoted to people more than any other book other than scripture in the last year. It's the book I've recommended to more people than any other book. It's, it's called Strength to Strength. And in it, he begins with a story. The story that set him off on this journey of investigating just how past success impacts us as people. He says that I was sat on a plane 
traveling from DC to LA. As we're sat there, I'm a social scientist. They're like pastors. They have to get their material from somewhere. So he's listening in on all of the different conversations around him. And he says, during the course of this journey, the gentleman behind me spent most of the flight talking to his wife, telling her that, well, he may as well be dead. Nobody would remember him when he was gone. And really, his life was over. He said, as the successful social scientist that he was, he said, I spent most of the flight thinking, oh my goodness, I am so glad I'm not this guy. So glad that I haven't wasted my life. So glad that I've achieved something. And then he said, we landed. And I stood up and turned around to see who I'd been overhearing for the entire journey and found myself face to face with one of the 10 most famous men in America. Someone who has changed the life of every single person in this room, who has achieved more than any of us could achieve if we worked as hard as we could for the next 30 years. And he never says who it is. Just leaves you hanging there. But he says the truth is it didn't matter because what has this guy bought into? He's bought into this idea. Achieve, achieve, achieve. And then retire and rest on your laurels. Raise kids and release them into the world and then be free to enjoy life. Do something worthwhile and then stop and rest. It's the American dream, right, to a certain degree. Get to that point where you don't have to do anything anymore and then stop doing it. But it's a lie. The problem is that that idea forgets how quickly the laurels, the crown that you think that you've, you've gathered, how quickly the laurels die, how quickly the crown fades. And so we have all sorts of people that have achieved to incredible degrees and find that now they're in the same place, trapped in a past that no longer exists and then faded quicker than they expected it to. That's why star quarterbacks find it hard to retire. Why Aaron Rodgers has to do another season, why Tom Brady had to do another five seasons, why there's always another game to play, always another deal to get done, always another trip to go on, always another thing. Arthur Brooks says this, what I found was a hidden source of anguish that wasn't just widespread, but nearly universal amongst people who have done well in their careers. I came to call this the striver's curse. People who strive to be excellent at what they do often wind up finding their inevitable decline terrifying, their successes increasingly unsatisfying, and their relationships lacking. And so they get to the end of this journey and say, but there's nothing there. I don't have it. Paul paints this picture. He says, do not dwell in what has passed. Don't leave your emotions there. They don't, they don't belong there. And yet, if you're honest, and I'm honest, you and I might say, there's these things in the past that I wish I could go back and change. If I could time travel, I know exactly where I'd go. I know what date I'd go. I'd, I'd change that thing. Or maybe there's past crowns, past successes, past wins, past victories, past moments, just a different phase of life that you just say, oh, that was the time. That was the time where I really felt alive. That was the time where I felt like all my future was in front of me and it's exciting and it's rich and, and I just want to go back to that moment. 
It's not uncommon. You're not alone. It's not just a you thing. It's a many people thing, a common thing to say, I just, just wish I could go back. There's this video that I'm going to invite you to watch that, that exemplifies that. It taps into the deep emotion. And I invite you not to try and avoid those emotions that can be painful, but to recognize them, to notice them in the dream that you and I, like Paul, might actually get to move beyond them at some point. Doesn't she just put the finger on it? Like that, that experience, that emotion, that, yeah, there was something there. There was something there and it feels like it's back in my past and I, I can't reach it in the way that I want to reach it. Paul's difficult ask in this scripture, his teaching, his command in the way of Jesus is that we're to stop dwelling emotionally in the past. Now, if you're not following Jesus, if you're just kind of like, I'm just here, I don't know why, someone dragged me along, I just, I decided to get up in like four degrees weather to come to a building with the people I don't know, and I said, good for you, way to go, way to chase the dream. If, if that's you, then, then actually this is just wisdom. It just actually ties in with what we know today about brain science, about human wisdom. Research demonstrates that characteristically, characteristically thinking about the past is disadvantageous. Thinking about the future is advantageous, and thinking about the present has mixed outcomes. Just based on like scientific knowledge, dwelling in the past is not a healthy thing. It doesn't do good. It doesn't get you where you want to go. But if you're someone who's following Jesus, how do we obey this command of scripture that says, no, this is how followers of Jesus are called to live? And Paul's convinced it is because of the work of, of Christ in you that enables you to do that. Let's go back to his first Corinthians 15 comment about being the least of apostles. Look what he says afterwards. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God was with me. When trapped in regret of what he has done, Paul says, how, but when, when asked how do you get out of it, Paul essentially says, grace. Grace pulled me through that. Grace, the fact that, that God was gracious with me, I could be gracious with myself and that new stories in this Jesus journey constantly develop out of our old stories. And then let's put all of that Philippians passage together from the beginning. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, 
But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's all centered around what Jesus has done. It's not Paul fixing anything. He says, because of Jesus, I'm able to rest in who I am now and not what has come before. Paul teaches us to stop dwelling emotionally in the past, but to move into God's never-ending now. The hard part is if you're trying to experience God in the past, he doesn't dwell in the past. He dwells in this ever-present now. There's rumors of him in the past, ways that you might catch glimpses of him, but the knowing of him, that, that, friends, is in the now. This is what Job says in Job 42. I admit once I lived by rumors of you. Now I have it all firsthand from my own eyes and ears. God invites you to step into this now because he is here in the now with you. With all of those experiences, all of those past successes and failures, he invites you to step into now. So a last question. How, how do we do this? Well, I would suggest if this is something that's spoken to you, if you have a, a, a past that, that's somewhat bad or somewhat difficult or hard or any of those terms I used, or whether you have one that is good and you find yourself trapped in that past experience, you need a current plan for your present day situation. You need a current plan for your present day situation. So I have a couple of suggestions that you might want to put into practice. When you attempted to ruminate on the past, to get lost in there, to find yourself dwelling in there, here's a question that I find to be useful. Instead of going through this mental memory thing of like, oh, this mental time travel thing of going back over every single detail and wishing I'd done something different, here's a great question to ask. What present action can I take to bring healing? What present action can I take that might bring healing? If you find yourself in grief, how can you be grateful? How can you show gratitude for the gift that was given in the past? If you go over a broken relationship, what olive branch can you offer? What healing can you bring through an apology or through repairing broken communications? Quite often, when we're stuck in those moments, the tempting thing to do is to just work it over and over again but in actual fact, there's quite often a practical action that you might get to take that starts to bring healing. And then here's a second one. Especially if you find yourself stuck in past successes, ask this. How can I celebrate good memories from the past by creating more memories in the future? How can I celebrate good memories in the past by creating more memories in the future. And then finally, a third one. It might just be that you need to sit and talk with someone about this stuff. You're not ready to move on from some stuff that has been in the past. Now, I've spoken about this all as though it's very easy, perhaps, and that actually you can just take this journey, but the reality is we're talking often about human relationships, human experiences. And those weigh heavy, they're held closely, and they should be. So perhaps the journey for you is to sit down with someone and do some counseling and allow them to help you in that journey. 
Why do you need to do this journey? If you're part of South, this is why I would love you to take this journey. Because we have a journey to take together into the future. For some of you that have been around for a while, you'll appreciate this picture. I grabbed it the other day. This is me and our founding pastor, Dale Schlafer. It's, we took two. This was the best one of him and the worst one of me. Uh, so I just, just, that was the honor that I uh, threw to him. But Dale helped shape this church into what it was supposed to be. And we got to chat for just a few minutes as we have multiple times. And during our conversation, as we were about to say goodbye, he grabbed me and he gave me this bear hug despite being like a foot shorter than I am. And he just held me close for a second and he said this to me. He said, keep going, son. Keep going. Keep taking this journey. Keep taking South into this journey. We have a journey to take together and we need you present for our future journey. To be what this community has called. To find ways for new people to walk into relationship with Jesus. People that have never done it before. People that would class themselves as broken and hurt by the church. To invite them back into this church story. We need people like you present and whole for this next season. For us to be a community that the city and world would miss, we need people like you present in this moment, in this now, using the gifts that you have, the skills that you have for this community and for this world around you. We don't need you dwelling in the past, whether it's been difficult or easy, whether it's been bad or good, whether it's regret or success. We get to invite you into this moment now. And so I know that walking into this can be difficult, I'm going to invite Aaron to close the service by leading us in a song. It's a song that reminds us of, Jesus, of Paul's main point, that you and I are not slaves to what has gone before us. We're not slaves to that anymore. The beautiful work of Jesus is that you are free now in this moment. Jesus, thank you that you call us into this ever-present now. In Paul's words, I do not dwell on the past, its failures and successes the good things and the bad things, and move into the future, into what is now. And know that I have some friends here that find themselves weighed down by some past. I know I have some friends here that are captured by past success. I know I have some friends here who feel like their story is over. And yet we only have to look across history and see how you continue to use people in all sorts of ages and spaces. If you are saying in this moment, my kind of time is done, there's nothing left for me to do. Joshua Slocum solo navigated the world at 56. He was the first person to do it. Nelson Mandela became president at 75. Paul Cezanne had his first art display at 56. My friend Dwight said to me once, he was starting his third company at 79. He said, you know what retirement is? It's what happens to horses just before they die. They throw them in a field and they last at best six months. He says, I'm not a horse and I'm not ready for a field. Find what you love and people you love and do it for as long as you possibly can. If you found yourself stuck in old stories, I'd like to invite you into a new story. As Aaron leads us in this song, if you'd like to be prayed for, I'm here to pray for you. Our team is here to pray for you. I encourage you to take that step. 
If you've been touched by this ministry and you want that to spread to others, you might consider partnering with us financially. You can give online at southfellowship.org give. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of your day.